fellow travelers, welcome to the 18th level of the RPG Cave. I am one of your hosts, the level 99 human archmage, Ryan Turpin. I'm joined, as always, by the level 99 elf ranger, Mr. Garrett Bland. Garrett, how are you doing on this lovely, lovely Sunday that it looks like it's very bright once again this week? Yes, I'm doing very good. I've got two cups of coffee in me as usual, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about this franchise I've never touched or and or heard about other than from you, Ryan. It's going to be interesting. I'm ready to pull out the PowerPoint presentation. You know, we're going to go through all the slides. It's going to be quite the lecture this week. So I, I feel like I'm going to be the, the teacher in the classroom this week. Of course, mm-hmm. though. Okay, Professor Turf. Now, normally I wouldn't be like, you know, trying to regale Garrett with like this giant lecture about a series he's never played before, but yeah. it seemed always like almost fitting to talk about this series here because we just mm-hmm. talked about Fire Emblem last week. And when you talk about strategy RPGs, there are really like two OG strategy RPG series that go all the way back mm-hmm. to like the early days of strategy RPGs. So if you want to know kind of the history of strategy RPGs, it would be impossible to talk about Fire Emblem, but not talk about today's series. So today's series, folks, is the Shining Force series. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about basically the sh- Sega competitor to Fire Emblem, and that's going to be what today's show is going to be all about. But before we get into all that, of course, we should clean the garage a little bit, but even though it, it, that's the Xbox Drives thing and not the, the RPG games <laughs> thing, but it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. doesn't matter. If, <laughs> if you want to support the show, there's a number of ways to do that, of course. Number one, you can support us uh, by subscribing to us on your podcast feed of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, all the places you find podcasts. We're probably there, except SoundCloud. We're not there. I mean, we're, no. we're too cool for SoundCloud. Um, cool. Also, if you leave us a pop Apple Podcast review, that is a five-star review. We'll actually read it on the show. Also, if you want to see our beautiful faces every single week because we do a video version of this show, head on over to youtube.com slash Capri, and you can see that every single Saturday that goes up. And then last but not least, if you want to get this show early as well as other shows early, as well as some exclusive content, patreon.com slash Capri is how you do that. Throw a little tip in the old tip jar and outcomes content. We have a good old time there. All right, mm-hmm. time to read from the sacred text and time to get into things, Garrett, because this is going to be a long one. So, so strap Great. yourself in for this. So, we're going to go. To, we're going to start as always with fun yes. facts, um, but the okay. fun facts are a little bit longer this week because, um, kind of like when we talked about Fire Emblem last week, it's impossible mm-hmm. to talk about Shining Force or or just the Shining series in general without talking about the company that makes it and the company that mm-hmm. makes. The, at least made the earlier Shining Force games is Camelot Software Planning, who wow. folks may know now for a series like Golden Sun, for all of the Mario sports games. They actually got their start. That's so weird. Doing the Shining Force games. That's actually kind of where their bread and butter was back in the day. So, uh, and plus, you know, we're probably not going to do a full Camelot, you know, episode because we're going to talk about them here. And then when we do, eventually when I force Garrett to play Golden Sun, we'll talk about them there too. So, there you go. So Camelot Summer Software Planning was formed in 1990 under the name Sega Consumer Development Studio Number no. 4, which is what? a super bland name. But they were actually re- renamed the exact same year, like later in the year, to Sonic with an exclamation mark, Software Planning. So the, Sonic Software Planning, I know, it's very bizarre. I don't know why there's an exclamation part after Sonic. But they were, they were named after, the, after Sonic the Hedgehog, even though they didn't work mm. on any Sonic games. So that is the weirdest thing. And they were different. I never know the origin of Camelot like at all. That's so weird. Okay. So there's not only that, but like they didn't work on any Sonic games and there was already a Sonic team at Sega called Sonic team. (laughs) So it's a different team from Sonic team called Sonic team. 
So, oh, Sega. <laughs> yeah, Sega didn't make a lot of sense. Um, in 1994, the studio was renamed to Camelot Software Planning from Sonic Software Planning, but they released many Shining Force games under this Sonic Software Planning label, and they officially separated from Sega in 1995. However, they would okay. actually continue to work on the Shining series um, until the three Sega Saturn entries, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in, in the fun facts, but we're moving away entirely from Sega in 1998. They had actually, during the, the, the separation in between 1995 and 1998, they worked alongside PlayStation on some mm -hmm. titles like Beyond the Beyond or Everybody's Golf, mm. the originals, Everybody's mm -hmm. Golf, not the PS4, yeah. Everybody's Golf. Um, which is actually how they kind of transitioned into working sp in sports games because yeah. essentially uh, Nintendo kind of saw the work they did with everyone's golf and signed them to an exclusive second party developer deal and with the release of Mario Golf. So when they worked on Mario Golf, that was them basically transitioning to being an exclusive developer for Nintendo where they've been ever since. So they actually aren't owned by Nintendo yet. N Nintendo's never bought them. They're just a second party developer. There's still a second party developer. I presume that they were, man, within the Nintendo ecosystem because they even made the Super Smash Brothers or, or at least some of them. Yeah, I, they, I, I they worked on a ton of stuff for Nintendo and it, yeah. but they've only worked with Nintendo ever since, you know, 1998, which is smart, kind of crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, because yeah. like what ended up happening was like the, when, when the Dreamcast was starting to come out, you know, um, they, Camelot was like, okay, where do we kind of fit in, uh, to this, to the solution? Mm -hmm. And they didn't really want to fund any more shining force games on mm -hmm. the dreamcast. So Camelot was just like, all right, we're out. We're going to go, we're going to go find someone else to go work with, I guess, and kind of separate okay. them from Sega completely. So that's kind of the short history lesson on Camelot. We're going to talk a little bit more about them again when we talk about golden sun, cause we will get there one day, Garrett, we will be talking of about course. golden sun. One of these days on the show. It's on my short list. Probably in a few Actu months. Or as you're going to play it with uh, Rebecca and Elaine as well. They, we, we all have the retro pockets, so we're ready to go. You, sh you should tell me when you guys are playing it, because I will replay Golden Sun at the same time. I think we'll do a book club type of thing, so Ooh, that would be good. That'd be awesome. So anyways, mm -hmm. getting away from Golden Sun, we're going back to Shining Force. So mm -hmm. in the Shining series, so of the Shining ser Force series goes beyond just... Shining Force, there's a bunch of different other Shining games, like Shining and then some kind of other pronoun that comes afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. But essentially, there are 23 total games in that's the Shining series. Wow. But if you include all of the mobile games and remakes, that number actually climbs up to 39 total games in the series. Garrett, that's a lot it's of not games. Small. <laughs> no, not small at all. <laughs> this, this very tiny series that you've never heard of before. There's a lot of games in it, so mm -hmm. there's a lot to cover here. Games in the, the series, of course, range from all kinds of different genres, too. They include strategy role-playing games, action mm -hmm. RPGs, first-person cool. turn-based RPGs, um, real-time strategy games, and fighting games. So just all the way across the board. They went all over the place with this, with this franchise, mm -hmm. basically ever since when Camelot kind of left. Like mm -hmm. Sega didn't really know what to do with the Shining series. <laughs> So they're just yeah. like, screw it. We're going to take every idea we have and just throw it at the board <laughs> with like a bunch of different developers. Like there was no really like same developer that basically worked on the series for years. It was just like, okay, just continue. They would just have a different developer every time, have mm -hmm. them not continue connected to each other and would be like a different genre sometimes. So, so kind okay. of like, kind of like what we talked about with the Mana series when we did that, that episode um, where they kind of like went off in a million different directions. Just imagine mm -hmm. that, but at a much bigger scale across like, a bunch of different platforms and that's kind yeah, of, yeah, there's so many different genres. <laughs> yeah. 
Plus, there's series. a lo- there's a lot of mobile games in this jo- in this uh, series okay, as yeah. well, um, and most of them are Japan only. So, of course, we didn't of really course. see them here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't have been able to play them on your phone anyways. So, anyways, getting back to the Shining or- series origins and kind of where Shining Force came from, the very first game in the Shining series was not a Shining Force game. It was Shining in the Darkness, which was released in Japan on March 29th, 1991, and later that year in North America on August 6th, 1991, on Sega Genesis in both territories. Um, Shining in the Darkness wasn't a strategy role-playing game, but it was actually a first-person turn-based RPG, very similar to like Etrian Odyssey or something like that. Um, It was actually a really fun game. Like I actually played it back in the day on Sega Channel because I've talked about Sega Channel, you know, a bunch of times on the show, Um, Mm -hmm. whereas it was a subscription service where you paid for every month and you got access to a bunch of games and Shining oh, in the Darkness. So Game Pass. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it was, yeah, pretty much like Game Pass. You'd basically... Head of its time, man. Games. Yeah. Yeah. It was super cool. So, yeah. So Shining in the Darkness, really interesting game. Um, mm-hmm. but, and it was kind of like the only RPG of its type on the Genesis because as many people know, from, who know anything about Sega Genesis, Sega Genesis was not known for many RPGs at all. Okay. Like, it was not really like a big... RPG system like that the the Genesis was more designed to be like an arcade port kind of system and kind of like mm-hmm. replicate the feeling of being in a Sega arcade was kind of the idea they were going with with the Genesis. So um that's why a lot of the ga- most popular games on the platform are platformers, action games, um mm-hmm. yeah. brawlers, stuff like that. Um so it was interesting to see like a, an RPG on the console so we had that game, but then the very first Shining Force game released on Sega Genesis on March 20th, 1992 in Japan and in July 1993 in North America. Um, and it, this was the very first game in the strategy RPG genre um, from mm. the series. And it was essentially the second, you know, strategy role playing game after the original Fire Emblem. Like, we didn't really okay. have any other strategy role playing games that came along after that. Um, but it, it, as you notice by the date, Garrett much farther behind the first five yes. game, by a couple years even by at least a few years that's yeah. uh pretty interesting to look and to see yeah exactly franchise yeah um the first shining force game also got a couple of direct sequels um but they were actually on the game gear and this is this is a weird story but stick with me so the first sequel was called shining force gaiden on the game Gear. it released on christmas day 1992 <laughs> in japan <laughs> But it yeah. was never released in North America. But its sequel, Shining Force Gaiden 2, released in Japan on June 25th, 1993. And this one came to North America on the Game Gear uh, later th- that year. Like, essentially, it, at the end of 1993, it came out. And uh, that, that's really weird. It was named uh, Shining Force the Sword of Hajal which is kind of a weird name instead of Shining Force mm-hmm. Gaiden. And again, it was like the sequel to a game that was a sequel to the original Shining Force, but we didn't get the yeah. game in the middle. So like when you played it, it assumes from the story perspective that you've played the first game because it's kind of a, it picks up directly when it finishes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it, it was, it's just really weird playing that game now. Like why would they release the sequel here, but not the first why, game? Why did they do that? That's so weird. <laughs> I know. I guess uh, they just didn't really care at the time. They were just churning out games and, and maybe just one avenue is like, eh, it doesn't make sense from a profit profit standpoint to bring out a game. And this one is like, hey, it's another Game Gear game, the third game. And it was like a good option for them to do. It's maybe it's that. really weird with like a story, heavy, like a game that heavily relies on story to yeah, do that's one true. part but not the other. But this isn't the only time they did something like this. We're going to get to that in, uh, in just a second. <laughs> but uh, uh, 
Um, the one cool thing, though, is we did actually get this game eventually on the Sega CD because they actually did a remake of the two Shining Force Gaiden games on the Sega CD called cool. Shining Force CD, which released on July 21st, 1994. That game is awesome, by the way. It's one of my favorite uh, games on the Sega CD, which already had a lot of great RPGs on it. Um, mm-hmm. I actually owned like a, a copy of it, which is, you know, uh, it's a very expensive game now. Um, probably the most expensive game in my collection, honestly. Wow. Uh, kind of looking at it, where it's like, it's like six to $700 US to get a copy of the, uh, that game. Now. So that was released right around the time I was born. Yeah. So we're, we're getting around that. We're time. getting closer, Garrett. <laughs> um, but of course, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Shining Force 2, which I talked about mm-hmm. on the very first episode of the RPG game. It was the game that got me into RPGs. Um, it released yes. on October 1st, 1993 in Japan and in North America on October 19th. 1994 um, again i played the mess out of shining force 2 like um, it's still one of my all-time favorite games and it's a really incredible uh strategy role-playing game um it, mm-hmm. it's connected to the first game but you don't really have to play the first game first um it takes place like 60 years after the first game so oh, for the okay. most part it, one of those yeah it's it, it takes place in the same world and there's like little nods here and there but you don't need to have played it or anything like that and then when the sega saturn came around we actually mm-hmm. got three Shining Force games on the Sega... Oh, sorry. We got five in total, but three in kind of the main Shining Force series because we had two spinoff games in there because cool. they went they went and did another first-person game um, and they also did an action RPG called Shining Wisdom, which we talked about on the Working Designs episode um, mm-hmm. a while ago. But Shining Force 3 was released on December 11th, 1997 in Japan and in North America on July 31st, 1998 on Sega Saturn. However... The two sequels to Shining Force 3, which were named Scenario 2 and Scenario 3, were oh, not released outside of Japan. So they were Japan-only oh, yeah, games. Of course. So, of course, we only got the first in like the, this like full story that just never came out here. And this was kind of... Was epic. there a cliffhanger to that game? Of course like, there was. Of course uh, there of course. was. <laughs> oh, man. Because, they, because <laughs> essentially all three scenarios came out the same year in Japan, essentially. Um, oh wow okay yeah so so they kind of released back to back to back because because the idea was like they'd already built the engine but they were essentially like the next chunk of the story with new maps on it essentially that you would basically buy a new disc for um Mm. but of course we don't have like an ingress translation of the story or anything like that so essentially just ends on a cliffhanger and for us in north america that's just how it ends I guess. And you didn't have YouTube at the time. You couldn't look things up. There was probably very rare versions, fan translation versions of it at the yeah. time as well. So, gosh. Yeah, God, I mean, that's, that's 1997 so was like when emulators were starting to come out and like mm-hmm. fan translations became more of a thing. But like, yeah, that was not a thing at the time. In fact, most of us in North America didn't even know you know, there were two more parts to this. We just thought it was weird that it ended on a cliffhanger because, you know, in mag- magazines didn't really talk about that too much um, because yeah. that's all we kind of had at the time. Like the internet was not like, you know, what it is now. Like we couldn't go to mm-hmm. I- just IGN and go look up stuff. Although this was in like IGN 64 was starting to come around. So right. um, that, that, that was kind of a thing. So after Camelot left Sega, of course, the first mm-hmm. 
non-Camelot Shining game was Game Boy Advance's Shining Soul, which was developed by Grasshopper Manufacturer of all companies. And it was released in Japan on March 28th, 2002, and North America on September 16th of the same year. The the crazy thing about that is, again, Grasshopper Manufacturer, for those that don't know, is Suda51 Studio that does all the No More Heroes games. Oh, right. Yes. They did did two Shining Soul games on the Game Boy Advance, which were like action RPGs. Because essentially, essentially when Camelot left, Sega's whole strategy was, all right, we're done making strategy role-playing games. We're going we're gonna to make it any genre except strategy role-playing games because of kind of how, like, the two companies kind of feuded towards the end of their mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. together, where they were like, they almost did it out of spite, where they, they, they'll, they'll continue the series, just not in, you know, the way that Camelot wanted to continue to do the series, essentially, which is kind of silly when you think about it. And then mm-hmm. the newest game, jumping all the way to present day, of course, because there was a bunch of games released between then, but we're not going to you know dive into them because today we're kind of focusing on the Shining Force section of mm-hmm. titles. But the newest game in the series to date, Shining Resonance Refrain, was developed by Media Vision and was released on PS4, Nintendo Switch, oh. and Xbox One on July 10th, 2018. This game was more of a like Tales-like game. So it was an okay. action RPG with like an open world and a story and stuff. It's actually pretty good. Like it was actually not a bad game. Um, okay. But it has literally no ties to any of the older games or anything like that. Um, okay. It has like some of the um, the different races and stuff that you'd find in the older Shining Force games, but that's, that's pretty much about it. Oh, okay, okay. But they also recently announced a new mobile Shining Force game called Shining Force Hero of Light and Darkness, um, which will launch sometime in 2022. It's returning to its strategy RPG roots for the first time in a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. And it looks awesome. As a Shining Force fan, cool. I'm actually pretty excited about that one. That looks pretty cool. Um, and we'll kind of find out more about that next year. So maybe next year, maybe we'll talk about that more when it when it comes out. But Did you see like any gameplay of it in trailers or, or whatnot? Okay. Yeah, they, they showed yeah. it in the trailer. It kind of reminds me of Fire Emblem Heroes, but the maps are a lot bigger. Um, but They're you, bigger, okay. It's still, it's still pulling from like the heroes from the older Shining Force games, just like Fire Emblem cool. Heroes does. So it's going to probably be cool. a gotcha game. Um, but you know what? I'll take that over, you know, uh, not having much to go on in the series. Well, uh, that's really smart for them to do. To It's probably doesn't take too much of their time and, and cost just to put a free-to-play game out there and get the whales out there. See if people would get interested in the franchise a bit more. It, did you say it's coming out in North America as well? Is it going to be in general? They haven't said. Mobile. They, oh, okay. okay, it's just Japan-focused, really. Which for now. Makes sense. They're, they're a mobile-focused market these days so all right cool yeah i mean there's Shiny. a possibility it comes out in north america next year but uh yeah we'll see but i'm excited to play it if it does come actually come out here mm-hmm. but yeah so those are all my fun facts about shining force but lots of fun facts yeah uh, of course with a long-running series like this with a bajillion games we always like to ask the question on the show where should someone start if they're new to the series and where where would i recommend someone new to the shining force series start and honestly it kind of depends on what consoles you kind of have access to um, is kind of mm-hmm. where I would say to start because, for example, if you're someone out there who has an Xbox One, a PS4, or a Switch and doesn't have any old consoles, the way I would actually recommend jumping into the series is, um, do you remember the Sega Genesis collection that came out a few years ago? Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that collection, you have the first two Shining Force games plus oh, Shining cool. in the Darkness on that collection. So mm-hmm. um, I would actually recommend just starting with the first Shining Force game. It actually holds up 
very well, like much better than, okay. the, than the Fire Emblem game that they released on Switch last year that we talked about uh, last week's show. Oh, that one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a little rough, actually. Yeah. Shining Force 1 uh, is just, it's a really interesting game. It's got a great story. It, it's really fun. It, it's got a great cast of characters in the strategy, RPG combat, very similar to something you'd play today with a lot of the modern like Fire Emblem uh, games as well as any other strategy RPGs okay. you might have played nowadays. So if you like games like Fire Emblem, that's a game I would recommend checking out. If you have the Sega Genesis collection, it's very easy. Just boot it up, play it that way, um, and go mm-hmm. from there. If you have access to a Game Boy Advance or, say, a Retroid Pocket 2, like Garrett might have, yes. um, very I would so. actually, instead of going that route, I would actually recommend um, the, the Game Boy Advance remake of the first Shining Force game um, oh, called, cool. called um, Shining Force, uh, the, the Legacy of Dark Dragon, um, I think is what it's called, but it was a, a remake done by Atlas on the Game Boy Advance. And it's mm, actually cool. really, really, really good. It got really good high reviews when it came out. Um, and it's a really fun game. The cartridge itself though, if you're going to try and hunt it down, it's pretty expensive. So I wouldn't recommend mm-hmm. going that in that route, but, uh, maybe going a- around like the re- same route that Garrett kind of does. I would say this is probably your best bet. So that's, if you have access to a Game Boy Advance, play that one instead of the original, because they did, uh, there's some quality of life things that are obviously in there to kind of of help out and make it more like more modern than the original version. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, if you don't have that again, the Sega Genesis games still hold up very, very, very well. So they're definitely- So I have the Sega Genesis collection on Steam, um, on PC as well. I think I got that on sale for- I think ten dollars. It was like a massive deal. It goes on sale all the time. Yeah, and so I was like, "Yeah, I'll grab it." And you're like, "Now play the Shining Force right now." I'm like, "Okay, sounds yeah. good." I'll They're get right to there. It. They're right there. You can yeah. go, you can go play them. You can, I, Shining in the Darkness is in there too. If you want to go play the, that first person role playing game as well, and kind of see <laughs> the origins of, uh, of yeah. Shining Force. So let's talk about kind of the things that kind of make Shining Force unique from a lot of other series because it, it does have some things that are kind of unique to it versus a, a series like Fire Emblem. First of all, there's no permadeath in this game. Um, so unlike Fire Emblem, you know, if your characters die, they come back, but you actually have to go to a church in one of the main mm. towns to resurrect them. And when you go to okay. the church, you actually have to pay a fee to resurrect your party members. And the fee, okay. the fee increases based on their level. So as you get farther and farther the ga- in the game, the cost to resurrect your characters becomes higher and higher, essentially. Okay. So you do have to watch out for that a little bit, but the price is never to the point where, you know, you're lose, you're going to run out of money or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the mm-hmm. game is actually, at least all the earlier titles are all very well balanced and keep that in mind. So, um, I, I think that for the most part, you don't have to worry about that too much. Um, another thing that this does as far as classes are concerned is that each character that you find uh, throughout the game, because you get a lot of characters in this game, you get usually mm-hmm. get over like 50 characters in your in your party, um, but you can only have 12 at a time, so you kind of swap them out before battle, just like uh, a game like quite a bit. does. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Each one of them has a character class assigned to it, um, and you can do what's called a promotion for that character um, once they hit level 20, and they become a completely different class. Um, and sometimes they can go into two different classes depending on if you can get a special item for that character that basically allows you to go in like a, a different direction. So okay. an, an example I'll give is um, in Shining Force 2, there's a character called Sarah. She's a priest at the ver- that you get at the very beginning of the game. Um, but when she get, gets to level 20, if you have a special item, um, she can either become a vicar, which is like 
a, a, a healing magic focused priest that is only be, it can has like very weak attacks, but it just is your your traditional priest. It, it gives mm-hmm. you a lot of healing spells. Or you can go in the direction called Master Monk. So she becomes a martial arts specialist that can also heal people. So her healing magic isn't as strong as the vicar is because she's not like fully focused on healing. Um, mm-hmm. But she's like a way more useful character because she's an attacker in addition mm-hmm. to dealing a lot, like doing a, a ton of healing magic. So um, they play with that in a lot of different ways and they have a bunch of different unique classes available to them, the different characters. Also, you have a bunch of beast characters in the Shining Force game as, okay. as well. So you've got werewolves, you've got mm-hmm. bird people, you've got tur- tortoises that throw their shells at people and then breathe fire. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you've got a bunch of different uh, like beast characters that you'll, you'll uh, recruit throughout your experience, but they're, they're not like... Uh, characters that you would like capture the monsters. Like, it's not like Pokemon or anything like that. Um, they're mm-hmm. just normal characters you would recruit along the way, kind of. Okay. Thing. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of really unique classes in Shining Force that you don't really see in a lot of other role playing games or even uh, other role playing games of this genre in particular. Like it's mm-hmm. very different from from Fire Emblem and the way their kind of balance is a little bit different. Um, but one thing to know about this game is that, and, and I think it's kind of similar in, in Fire Emblem as well, if your main character dies, regardless of, of how well you're doing the battle, the battle just ends right there. And you oh, basically have to that's, start That's over. happened to me once with a Fire Emblem game and I just had a, I had a stop. I was like, you game over, you go to your last save point. I'm like, I put four hours in here. I'm gonna <laughs> just slowly just drop it down here and yeah, take a break. Exactly. So yeah, you just have to always watch out for for your main character dying, and uh, you just gotta you know be a little more careful with that character in particular. But okay, as the the as you kind of proceed through the game, more often than not, your main character character becomes like incredibly overpowered towards the end mm-hmm. of the game, um, to the point where you're just uh, for the most part you usually have access to lightning magic. You just kill like ten guys at once, and that's oh, you just go okay. about your day kind of thing because. Um, they become very, very, very powerful towards the end of the game for that reason. Because um, there's kind of a risk reward too. Because even even if they're overpowered, if you send them in and like the enemy kind of gangs up on them, you're still going to probably lose them, and you're going to have to start the yeah. battle over again. So you ha- you still have to be a little bit careful with it, but you you become a little less afraid to use them towards the end of the game, which I think is a really interesting cool. dynamic. Um, as far as the visual style, which what's kind of reminiscent from uh, some of the other Camelot games that you may have played, like Golden Sun, for example. Um, when when combat happens, basically um, it goes from the overhead map to um, this like almost like 3D battle scene where that takes place, mm-hmm. like the camera's behind your character and, yes. they be, and the enemy's like over here and they basically do like this attack on them, um, which again, mm-hmm. very reminiscent. If you've played Golden Sun before, it looks exactly mm-hmm. like kind of using the magical spells in Golden Sun or using the attacks in Golden Sun. It kind of switches to that kind of look, essentially. Even cool. It even does the same thing with the camera where the camera like slides to the side as it goes mm-hmm. to uh, the thing. So it like pans across and, and shows like the battlefield and stuff, which is just really like visually really cool. Um, and yeah. it just holds up all these years later. It's like, it's still, it still looks really impressive when you actually play it today. So, um, visually that's one of the things that that's unique to the series. Um, also the, the Camelot font that everyone knows kind of from, from, uh, golden sun is the exact same font in this game too. So it's, it's interesting <laughs> nice. to look at as well. Plus there's a lot of jokes, um, in the environment as well. Like for example, 
you can if you walk up to a well in the environment and you you press the interact button on a well you'll then your character will then drink well water or like soapy water and be like oh my god it's soapy this is gross or something like that you'll have there's a mm-hmm. lot of like random stuff like that if you interact with weird stuff in the environment uh which mm-hmm. i thought i think is always pretty amusing um versus like it's much more exploratory than, than something like fire emblem because in fire emblem okay. Wait, uh, if you remember in Fire Emblem, for the most part, either A, you're on this like open map and you go from one point to another. You're not really like going and visiting places in between that or anything like that. Um, and then mm-hmm. you've also got your home base in Fire Emblem with that you can walk around. But other than that, you're not really doing a lot of exploration in that game. Whereas in Sh- the Shining Force games, they're much more open. They, they kind of remind me more of like the older Final Fantasy games where you've got your big top-down map. Um, you can walk around towns and talk to people. Um, mm-hmm. You then you know can walk around the open world and go see a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of optional content you can find in the open world as well, um, as well as some things that you, know, you can go find. That's how you get some of the optional items I talked about a little bit earlier to kind of give mm-hmm. you unique classes um, as an example. So it's definitely like a much more of a traditional like open world RPG um, t- similar to again Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest versus something like Fire Emblem is so kind of okay. tried to take the idea of mashing like the overworld structure of a Final Fantasy game but with the combat of Fire Emblem and kind of put them together which oh, I think that's is really, really cool. cool yeah uh, I have a I just a quick question of just the structure of this game and I just have it right in my head um, you say open world and now once you get into a battle or whatever mm-hmm. is it like a is it just like a big map with like all your characters right there and you're ready to go yeah or i there's some fire emblem games that it's like like in um shadow valentia it's like very quick it's mm-hmm. like you you go through a dungeon and then there's a series of battles you you go through and it can be short but what what is it like is it is it just open world and then here's this big massive battle going on so a lot of times on um, the open world what will happen is as you're exploring like the your character will stop and either the the the, the screen will go white or it'll fade mm-hmm. to black and then you'll have like this story moment play out and then right there on the map that you got to is where the battle will take place and there will okay. be it, it'll usually be larger maps but there are some smaller ones too so that you go through some of the battles okay. very quickly it just depends on the battle itself but i would say there it airs more on the open side um, okay. versus kind of the smaller battles. The smaller battles are, are happen a lot less often than the larger battles, if that makes okay, any sense. Cool. But cool. I remember like there's one really memorable one in Shining Force 2, for example, which is a smaller one that takes place um, when the characters get miniaturized and takes place on a chessboard. So you're actually mm. fighting like possessed evil chess pieces that have all nice. the traits of the chess pieces. Um, so mm-hmm. like, for example, the knight can only move in an L position, mm-hmm. um, whereas your characters on the other, on your side are kind of, can kind of move freely however they want to. Um, but it's like a really oh, small map because it's a chessboard. Um, so mm-hmm. you've got like really interesting stuff like that found in the game as well. So um, yeah, for the most part, it is pretty open when it comes to okay. exploring and stuff like that, though. Again, it, it, it sides more on that versus the others, except for the the first Shining Force game, which mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of the open elements Like you can still explore all the towns and stuff. Um, but it's more of a linear adventure. Um, okay. so, so it shows you the overworld map, but you, your characters basically move for you kind of thing. So, OK, um, it's a little bit of a different different animal than than the rest of the game. So um, cool. also, as far as the, the combat is concerned, um, you've got a lot of different enemy types um, that you fight throughout the, the journey. Um, and, and they're mostly traditional fantasy monsters. We haven't really seen um, too many of the older Shining Force games anyways play with a bunch of different time periods or anything like that. So for the most part, you're going to fight similar monsters that you would have fought in Fire Emblem in, in these games as well. Like, you know, giant bats or slimes or giant rats or any, or stuff like that. Like 
a lot of the, the same stuff you'd find in, you know, other fantasy games. So nothing too different there. Um, cool. And then the one one thing that I love about some of the mechanics here is, um, first of all, I think you said, did you play Conquest, Garrett? I think you said that, right? Well, Pokemon Conquest? No, uh, Fire Emblem Conquest? Oh, e- what? no, I haven't. Uh, what was it? Oh, Echoes? Uh, fi- no, sorry, Fire Emblem Fates Conquest? Yes, yes, I have. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Fates, yes. Okay. So in 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 Fates, uh, in Conquest specifically, um, I don't know if you remember too much about uh, Conquest, mm-hmm. but in Conquest you had a bunch of like level effects that happened. Um, yes, for- yes, I remember that. Okay, <laughs> <sucked>. so, so <laughs> you also see those type of things from time to time in the Shining Force games. Like in Shining Force 2, for example, there's a, a map that you go to that takes place in a dark cave and you have to mm-hmm. basically fight a bunch of like dark dwarves and other stuff that you would normally fight in a cave. Um, but what ends up happening is you have a little light around your character models that, mm-hmm. which is essentially mm-hmm. what they're able to see, but you can't see anything beyond that point. Um, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of cave walls and stuff like that. You, you kind of have to, to navigate around. Like you can't even really see like the map layout on the map, like the, oh, the map rough. or anything like that. Um, so as a result, you're fighting enemies kind of in the dark. Um, but it was like, it's a really memorable level because it's just so different from, you know, a lot of strategy role-playing games that you play or just role-playing games in general because mm-hmm. you don't really have like this like really heavy fog of war effect in games like this right. for the most part. Um, so I thought it was like you have unique ideas like that or um, you also have a lot of ground effects that kind of affect movement a little bit heavier than something you see in Fire Emblem. So okay. for example, like centaurs move terribly through you know trees because mm-hmm. it's a little bit harder for them to go between trees and stuff in the forest. Um, mm-hmm. um, but you also have like flying units that are uh, can navigate the maps much easier. Um, so uh, there's a lot more environmental effects in the Shining Force okay. games versus Fire Emblem. So you have to kind of consider the, the terrain a lot more when playing a game like this. And also that plays into kind of the, how many characters you get throughout the game too, because if you know, for example, you're going to go onto a map that in kind of this mountainous area, you're better off bringing flyers with you or um, characters that move better through mountains than other characters. Um, that makes sense. Which is kind of cool. So I, uh, lo- I have another question, I guess in terms of the comp. Oh man, I just, I just forgot what it, what it was too. Oh no, wait, it, it, does it have like the weapon triangle very similar to fire emblem? You said there's monsters, but are there like actual enemy soldiers or what's, what's the deal with that? Okay. So to your first question, there's no weapon triangle in this game. So, okay. um, there are weaknesses and okay. strengths against certain enemies. Um, and it'll usually tell you it in kind of the, the tool tip because you, because similar to other strategy role playing games, um, you have a button that basically, um, changes to a cursor and you can go around the map and kind of select different enemies. And it'll usually list, list the, the weakness on the enemy if okay. you've exploited it before. So if it's an cool. enemy you're fighting for the first time, it's obviously not going to tell you what it's weak to, but um, enemy enemies that you've, you know, exploited its weakness, um, or what it's resistant to, you'll usually get, get a, okay. a, a kind of that information there. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, sorry, what was your second question? Were there enemy like soldiers in oh. general that were like strong against your own men? You said monsters, but I was wondering. Yeah. About oh yeah. That there's also well. enemy soldiers as well like enemy humans as well. Um, yeah. You've also got um, a bunch of different sorcerers and mages and just a bunch cool. of different, you know, different classes. And they, they, the human, like the soldier enemies all have different classes associated with them. Um, there's also a lot of centaurs uh, throughout the story as well. So you fight a lot of centaur-like enemies as well. 
um, that mm-hmm. have different abilities and whatnot. Um, also, weapons themselves in this game are, work so, similar to, to Fire Emblem, um, except without the weapon triangle. So, for example, you with, with uh, um, allies or enemies with spears, they can throw them two spaces over. Um, cool. Or bows yeah. and arrows, they can't attack enemies right next to them, but can shoot up to six spaces apart, which is awesome. Yeah, um, So that's they can actually nice. fit, shoot really far away. Um, also, there's no weakness to arrows versus flying enemies. So if you've got flying enemies coming at you or if you have a flying ally, you don't have to worry as much about archers in this game, which is kind of nice because essentially mm-hmm. like you're not worrying about them like instantly being killed um, because right. you also get a lot of really useful flying allies in this game, but not enough to make them like super overpowered or anything like that. Um, so I, I like kind of the balance that's there. They, they balance the gameplay in a lot of other ways versus the cool. weapon triangle. So I think it kind of works out. Um, for the best, but like there's a lot of enemies, for example, weak to fire or weak to ice or certain elements. And you can really exploit that with your, your wizards, um, who mostly, um, deal the same amount of damage for each spell that they cast. But if they're weak to it, it deals more damage or likewise, less damage, which is pretty cool. It reminds me of Wargroove just a little bit, just the, the way you're saying the wide gambit of, of types of characters that you have and the, the, the centaurs and the flying units and mm-hmm. being more terrain focused. I, I definitely could see Wargroove having inspirations from yeah, Shining Force. Definitely. In I think it's probably a, a more, more um, inspired by Shining Force than something like Fire Emblem, I think. Like, I think it's yeah. probably a lot closer to that. So again, if you like games like Wargroove, which I know you did, you probably Love like it. the Shining Force games as well. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, for the most part, that, that's all the, all the mechanics I kind of want to highlight with the Shining Force series. I think that, again, the, the combat itself in all the games is really deep. One of the nice things, too, about the Shining Force games, at least the older ones, is that they have a lot of difficulty systems and they're actually very approachable. So if someone who is cool. new to the genre, who've never played, you know, strategy role-playing games before, like, like I did back in the day when I first played Shining Force 2, there's a lot of difficulty options available to you to make the game pretty accessible like that even though the uh the game starts you at normal difficulty um it's essentially the game's easy difficulty um and if you play that you're gonna probably breeze through it and not mm-hmm. have a bad time if you just want to you know play it for the story but then you've got usually like four to six difficulty levels above that um mm-hmm. and they weigh, range pretty widely from each other so um you can make it as difficult as you want to or you do have it like be insanely difficult if you really want to go down that route. But I like kind of the, the levels of difficulty you have available to you versus again, some of the older fire Emblem games, which for the most part, especially the ones with permadeath in them could be quite difficult or challenging, especially if you don't grind in them, which in this mm-hmm. game too, you don't really have to do a lot of grinding either. You can do it because it, since it's an open world, you can go um, back to areas you've previously, previously fought in and fight cool. enemies there if you want to, but it's not overly grindy. So for the most part, I feel like it's, really well balanced and i think camelot did kind of a fantastic job kind of balancing all those games back in the day and regardless of which of the older shining force games that you played like they're really well balanced and tuned um so that the difficulty doesn't feel too difficult or anything like that and you don't feel like you need to grind which is exactly my my level of speed anyways where i kind of like to see rpgs anyways yeah me too i like that very much well, it sounds interesting. Um, I'll definitely check into one of these games. Probably I'll, I'll check out the Sega uh, collection I have on Steam and, and see what these games feel and look like. It it seems it would be right down my alley, actually. Mm. Yeah. So. I think you in particular would probably really like these games, especially because you like Wargroove and you like strategy RPGs. Wargroove so. is such a fantastic game. Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing I wanted to touch on real quick, of course, 
the future of Shining Force and kind of what I would yes. love to see, see with the series. I mean, I do think that this mobile game that they have coming up um, looks like a good first step for the series yes. kind of coming back. And and I would just love to see, because obviously they're not going to be able to bring Camelot back to do kind of another game. And, and to be fair, I don't know if I would even want you know, modern day Camelot to really do that. Cause they're really I don't a think so. They're more of a sports yeah. studio now. Just like, I would say the same thing about golden sun. If it ever came back to where it's just like, I would never, I probably wouldn't want Camelot to do like the next golden sun. As much as I love Camelot's games, you know, their, their, their modern day equivalent is just sports games now. Um, especially with what we've seen kind of with all the RPG elements leaving their sports games too. Like with Mario yeah. Bros. super rush, like they're not the studio. I would love to see that, but I would love to see Sega task. Like, another studio uh like yes for example like the wargroove studio for example like having mm-hmm. have them do a shining force game i think that would be really awesome like i, I think would, that would be the best i would do. love to see them kind of go back to kind of the roots of shining force and do something like bring, bring it back to kind of the strategy rpg roots because i think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of room in this genre out there because um especially now with you know the the genre being probably more popular now than ever with you know, Fire Emblem yeah, being as popular as it is, um, or even games like Disgaea out there and whatnot. But again, this has got a very different feel from, you know, Disgaea and other popular games, and it is closer to Fire Emblem. Um, but at the same time, I think it could definitely, you know, make its own kind of space mm-hmm. in kind of the market. And I think it would be a pretty big hit. Like, I think people would be jazzed to see Shining Force come back, I think. There's definitely more of an audience now than ever with Fire Emblem Three Houses coming out. I mean, it has good, modest amount of sales for for its niche genre that it was, and now it's just becoming more popular. I would love to see more series like Shining Force to come out. Um, and, and again, as you said, it could be just another indie studio or anyone else that could just hit up for the task that can that can n- really nail down the mechanics. I think that's one of the hardest aspects of this genre is that there's a lot of okay indie strategy RPG games. Mm -hmm. Um, There's very few good and even less great strategy RPG games. I see them in in droves now in Switch and Steam and they just don't really pop out. Um, So like if you just give this, this weight of this franchise of Shining Force coming out again, Mm -hmm. tagging that with the Sega logo, um, I think that would, I, that would turn a lot of heads, um, yeah. especially from the hardcore Fire Emblem uh, side of things. Especially yeah. if they launch it on Switch, for example, which, again, I think people will eat that up at that point. Like, oh, very much so, yeah. Especially with how long we're waiting now for another Fire Emblem game at this point, because we don't even know when the next one's coming out. Like, um, I think like it would be a perfect move for Sega to kind of swoop in and do that. And, and maybe, again, kind of like what we talked about with, with Fire Emblem, <laughs> Maybe even if they didn't even want to do like traditional fantasy with it and wanted to try it in like a different time frame, like either do like a steampunk version of Shining Force or like um, a futuristic version of Shining Force. I think that Mm -hmm. would be pretty cool, too. So like they could really play with the genre a bit. Obviously, though, you know, was a Shining Force like old school purist. I mean, I would love to see kind of them go back to, you know, the older model for it. But obviously, Mm -hmm. like they could try try all kinds of stuff with it. And I think it would be awesome. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those like RPG series like uh, Sakura Wars with Sega or they have a few other RPG series like Fantasy Star as well that are kind of just sitting there and not being used and not being well utilized. Yeah, and I think that as much again, like Sega is really struggling to put out, you know, quality games right now or games that, you know, are, are, are really like selling people on what they want. But I think that they have a lot of series like this, these ones that are just, you know, sitting there not being used that you know, they could do something with that could be profitable that could really mm-hmm. turn heads, I think. 
Mm-hmm. I can see they're hesitant. I mean, they, they just go back to the franchises they know that can sell pretty well, like Persona um, mm-hmm. and as well as Yakuza series. Like, I feel like those are the two big RPG franchises I think of when I think of Sega. Yeah. And they should probably try to expand horizontally in, in that space. And, and of course, if, if they don't have um, the studio that can really nail that down, I, I think outsourcing it and, and try to popularize it would be good. I think the one um, obstacle behind that is that it's not going to be Japanese really focused if they do an outsource. It's going to be more to- geared towards the Western audience. It's going to yeah. be North America and Europe if they go that route. And so it would be probably a lower cost um, and try to make a lower budget game. But you can also make a really good budget strategy RPG game. I think that's what's so great about that genre. It's like, it yeah. doesn't matter if it's $60 or $20. The game is the game. Um, and you can put however much length you want to put in there, but if mm-hmm. the game's really good, it doesn't matter to me if it's ten dollars yeah. or sixty dollars. It's so. the it's the same topic that that comes up whenever talk people talk about whether or not Metroid Dread is, is yeah. worth sixty dollars. Like I feel the same way about that game. We're like, regardless of the price of it, if it's fun, it's fun, and I'm gonna buy it. Like, and the same would yeah. go for another strategy RPG like this. We're like, yes, they could put out a new let's say Shining Force game that's, you know, traditional top-down strategy RPG. And you know what? It would, it would probably be worth $60 and still be, a, like, if it's fun. And uh, I think it would be awesome. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, that's a direction I would love to see them go in. And I would just love to see them kind of return to the series because even though, again, the, all the bad blood with Camelot now is years and years ago, and I, I would love to see them, you know, maybe go back to that, especially because, like, splitting it off to a bunch of different genres and stuff like that and a bunch of different visual styles just only hurt the franchise and kind of diluted it from there. So mm. I, I think kind of refocusing it and, and putting it back there out there, I think would go a long way, especially cause I know I, we keep hearing rumblings that new Sakura Wars game is going to be maybe announced yeah. soon. Like they're one that one that might be coming. And that was a series that I thought was dead in the water and never coming back from Sega. So. But it's, it's like a lot. There's, there's new Sakura Wars games in PS4, right? I remember well, there's, there's only there's one. They did a version. They did oh, a remake, okay. like a um, a reboot, which I actually really uh, like that okay. game. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. Um, it looks really fun. I, yeah. I see, I've seen a lot of gameplay of that one. But that so. game was also a strategy RPG back in the day. But yeah. then they t- they with the newest one, they turned it into an action RPG instead, which mm. you know kind kind of bums me out a little bit. But it was still a really good game. Um, but he, but then because he didn't do a strategy RPG with Sakura Wars, that's all the more reason to maybe do like another strategy RPG with Shining Force because then mm-hmm. you would be serving another market that you know. Sega is not currently appealing to, I think at this point, like yeah, yeah. I would even love to see them maybe give it to Vanillaware because Vanillaware, um, they, they kind of, oh, yeah. with 13 Sentinels that they can do strategy <laughs> RPGs pretty well too. So I think that, I think that they could actually do an amazing job with shining force as well. So I would be so down for a shining force by Vanillaware. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. I also think, uh, the people who did, uh, Felsio Arbiter's Mark, uh, yeah. that game is a final fantasy tactics clone. Mm-hmm. I think they can just really knock out of the park with a Shining Force game too. Yeah. They they really nailed it down with that game. So yeah. although with them, I would be more excited for them to just do the next Final Fantasy Tactics game yeah. instead. And that's just, true. That's and just true. do that instead. <laughs> but uh that's we'll save that for another game because I'm sure we'll be talking about Final Fantasy Tactics on this show at some point. But Yes. Anyways, I think that's going to probably wrap up our discussion about Shining Force this week and, and for the show this week. We didn't get any questions this week, but folks at home, if you yeah. would like to be part 
of the RPG Cave and have your question read on the show. There's a number of ways to do that. Number one, you can hit us up on Twitter at Yumi Capriz. We put out a question post every single Friday um, asking for questions. We tell you the topic in there, but also you can ask just gen any general RPG question in there and we'll actually read it on the show. Or you can join our Discord, which is free to join the Yumi Capri Discord. The link is in the show notes as well. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, you can leave us a comment with your question and just, you know, leave your question there and we'll read it on the show. Uh, coming up, we should mention here, you know, what yeah. shows we got over the next three weeks so people know what questions they should start thinking about. Next week, we're going to be doing a, another company profile. This week, th this time, all about Monolith Soft, which I think yeah. both of us are going to be pretty excited to talk about that one. It's going to be really fun. We're going to get to talk about some, some Xenoblade and some other older Monolith Soft games that I might be able to uh, educate Garrett on at some point. Um, and then the week after, we're doing the, what we would consider the 10 essential RPGs that you, dear viewer or listener, should be playing. So yes, um, there's that. And then we're going to do another indie showcase in a few weeks. So we're going to talk about some more indie games because we did one um, about a month ago and it was a lot of fun. So I think we're going to do another one of those. But that's yeah. enough about today's show. But before we go, get plugs go. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bland Explosion and you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Bland Explosion. Uh, you can also listen to me over at the Nintendo Shack, part of the PlaySome Video Games Network. And uh, you can support them at Patreon at patreon.com slash PSVG. Very nice, my friend. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Turford. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Yumi Capris, as well as on YouTube at youtube.com slash Yumi Capri and on podcast services around the globe. So for Garrett Bland, I'm Ryan Turford. This has been the 18th level of the RPG Cave, and we're out. Bye-bye. The RPG Caves Mana is fueled by patrons over at patreon.com slash Yumi Capri. And I want to say thanks to each and every one of our Patreon supporters for all of your support throughout the years, as well as supporting our independent content. And let's start with, I think, our premium producers, Dallas Ford, Lee Navarro, the fearless leader of the Phoenix Overdrive Extra Life team, and Jonathan Brown. You can find his content over at youtube.com slash PM Entertainment. Our platinum producers, Robbie Bobby Miller and Trucker Sloth. And our gold members, Argo, Brendan Myers, Dallas Robbins, Emily O'Kelly, Heather Boney, James Johnson, Joel Brooks, Jose Jimenez, Mac Time, Benji Kong, Marcus O'Neill, RJ Kern, Dano, Skinny Matt, Mr. and Mrs. Nasty Boots, Foolish Fuji, and Xavier Reyes. Thank you all for all of your support. 